Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Alan Buchan, Communications and Insights Assistant at AMBA. Recently, I spoke to Marco Bushman, who's just written a new book, The Connection Quotient, how a culture of understanding transforms teams and organisations. I spoke to him about his new book and also a bit about how he thinks that leaders and teams should be functioning in this virtual environment. Here's that conversation. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Um, Yes, certainly. Um, So I'm going to divide my answer in two sections. First, I'm going to give you a little bit of factual uh, answer and then a more personal and vulnerable answer. Um, so I'm Michael Busman. I'm turning 53 this year. I'm the proud father of three children, married to Cindy, Dutch. I'm working globally. I'm the founding and managing partner of Curious. Um, we're specialists in the human side of change. Um, a lot of executive coaching, business and team coaching, leadership development, culture programs, um, that kind of work. So that is more the factual answer. But if you, again, would ask me, so who am I? I could also give you a little bit more like a personal and a more vulnerable answer. So, and then my answer would be, if I reflect on my life, you know, until the age of like 30, 35, I would say I was a human doing. So I worked hard. I, I studied at the military academy. I studied afterwards business administration. I also studied business informatics. Um, and, you know, through the work and through the studies, I always taught myself, like, you know, I come from a vulnerable background. My parents divorced. And my coping mechanism is to live in my head quite rational. So I worked hard. I studied hard. I always said yes. I took lots of responsibilities. Uh, you know, worked long hours, long days. Uh, I saw my family and kids less. Um, but basically, in, in that life, I, I lived it more like a human doing. So I was living it like if I do do a lot of stuff, all these kind of things, I will have a fantastic career, I will have money, I will have a nice house, a nice car, etc. And therefore, I'll be happy, I'll be successful, and I'll be, you know, in a way, the king. But what happens is uh, through this journey, at some point in my life, I noticed, although I was successful and respected, uh, internally, I felt like a, a bit miserable, to be honest. Um, you know, it was draining the energy. The marriage was not smooth. Uh, I was tired. Um, you know, so although I was successful, I was not fulfilled. And this is also around the age of 30, 35, that I really started to work with my own coach and lots of personal development work. And they asked me, so who are you? And I told them what I did. But then again, they asked me, so who are you? So they asked me, like, what do you stand for? What are your values? You know, what drives you? What's the legacy you want to leave behind, etc." And I didn't have the answer. So this is also where my, my journey flipped around from rather than coming from do, have, be. It, I flipped it around to be, have, do. So who am I? What, what I take a stand for is also my values. Nowadays, I know I am someone coming from the values of compassion, from family, from respect, from playfulness and courage. Um, you know, who I want to be and what I want to have is also a legacy. I want to I want to contribute to a world which is connected. You know, my I'm following this spiritual path where I'm I'm trying to get my life purpose in line. Like I'm the Shambhala warrior creating world peace. This is what drives me forward. And then from there, what I needed to do is I needed to let go of my management roles. And I, I founded uh, the, the company Curious to work with the human potential, either one-on-one or in groups or you know on a large scale. 
Um, so this is what I'm doing right now, and this is who I am and what I take a stand for. And I'm truly, truly satisfied and truly fulfilled in my life. So that would be my two answers to your one simple question, Ellen. Um, so you've written a new book and I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an overview um, and some of the main themes of the book yeah um, well if you look at the book do the connection quotient um, so that's like the theme that we really take a stand for um, you know how, how to to create a culture of understanding and then transforming teams and organizations the interesting thing is when people think about connection uh, they immediately think outwards, like, you know, you and I currently are connected uh, or you connect with your customers or you connect with your peers, etc. But the real starting point, and that's also what I debate in the book, the real starting point for connection is the connection with yourself. That's, so that's more like inward looking, like who am I, both from a functional and a personal perspective, both from the human doing and the human being perspective. And when I really start understanding who I am, then from there, like, and if I, if I also manage my ego there, then from there, what would happen if I connect with someone else? That's the second layer. Or from there, connect to the team or your organization of the, or to the world. So in the book, I actually lay out this path from connecting with yourself to connecting to the world. But next to that, I also give actually two lenses constantly throughout the book. Because if you connect with yourself or if you connect with the other, for instance, and I would take it more from a functional perspective, so more from the doing, like I'm the manager, then at some point I could raise the question, for instance, so what is your ambition? And probably you would give me a more functional answer on what you want to achieve in, in life, what sort of roles, what sort of positions, what sort of companies you want to work for. At the same time, if I would shift and I would actually look through the lens of a more personal perspective, then if in connection with the others, I could, for instance, ask the question rather than what's your ambition, then my question would be probably more framed like, what is your dream? And if you would answer the question, what is your dream? What I notice is people then instantly give themselves permission to think more freely, more open, and they include their whole life, not only the functional doing piece of them. So in my book, I actually gave all those elements and I, I split up the book in those parts, first in connection with yourself, then in connection with the other team organization in the world. And then if you would look for some examples, some of the themes that I discuss in the book, for instance, if you're in, in connection with yourself, if you really want to connect with yourself, then it's also about do you trust yourself? So what's the self-trust? If you want to give some trust to others, first, you really need to trust yourself. <laughs> Also, if you look at yourself, you know, we're all formed in the past by our families, by the, by the schooling system, etc. So we have a lot of patterns. But, you know, in life, it's not enough to say, you know, this is just the way I am. I don't buy into that. So if you want to really constantly reflect on yourself and grow yourself, then you also should look inwards and look for your patterns. So part of the book, I also discuss how our patterns formed and how can you influence this. In relation with others, you know, in, in the part where I, I write about in relation with others, then we start talking about themes like relationship trust or how do you handle toxic relationships or listening, uh, you know, for the, the part with team organizations. Then we start talking about difference between a group and a team. Or if you want to develop your team from a systems approach, how does it work? Or how do you want to be with dysfunctional teams? And in, in regards to the world, you know, what's your legacy? How do you perceive it? 
So what I did in the book is, so I split it up in all those parts. I looked through the lens, both from a functional and a more personal lens. And in order to 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 do so, I actually interviewed many peoples and our leaders, and I worked with so many leaders from a global scale. And I took out all the elements that I found are the most relevant. And I think what makes this book really unique is each chapter, when I do take you into a deep dive on a certain topic, I always start with a really personal, a vulnerable uh, example, introduction. Why? Because I also want to be in connection with the leader. I believe that if we as leaders, uh, we dare to show up, dare to reveal ourselves, that is also the invitation for others to really show up and really be be themselves. So this book is constantly an invitation to either take in some theories, some research, some exercises, etc., and also some practical and implementable tips, but it really also invites you to keep reflecting on yourself on all these kind of themes. I hope this answers gives gives a bit of an answer to to your question, Anna. Definitely, that sounds amazing, especially in kind of a time of COVID, when people have um, kind of been looking more in towards themselves um, and how to do so. It's um, even more important. Yeah, I was reading one of your articles that you wrote about emotional infrastructure, and I was hoping yeah. you could explain a little bit more about that and um, how you invest it in work, and a little bit more about the concept. Sure, sure. So before we go get into the emotional infrastructure, let's let's first start with why it's important. And and here's a really simple and yet powerful exercise that I've 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 done all over the world with thousands and thousands of people. And I call it it's the best team exercise. If you were to ask, and, and you can actually think about yourself as well, but if you were to think about what's the best team that you've been part of and the best team you can define it, you know, it was either, you know, you earned the most money or you had the best outcome or the best atmosphere or whatever. But if you think about the, the best team that you've been part of, and you would actually ask, so what are the attributes that actually stands out in those best teams? You know, if you would compare them to the regular, the average teams that you've been part of as well. If you were to write down those attributes, and again, I've, I've asked thousands of people all around the world this question, and I wrote them down. And if you look at the attributes, I always see the same pattern. If you would actually take this attribute and you would actually relate it either to is it a functional attribute more from rationality and you know what you think what you could consider is like a team organization function exists to produce results so you need to have some functionality so you need to have rationality like what's your vision your strategy your 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 task roles responsibility year plans all that sort of stuff um if you were to take the attributes for the best teams and you would actually look at how many of those are functional attributes, I would say one third in general is one third of those answers that people give to me are more those functional attributes. Whereas the others are more relational attributes. And that makes sense as well because every organization, every function, every team exists out of human beings. And if you have human beings, you get human dynamics. So two-thirds of the answers are more answers related, like this is where we, you know, there was a lot of trust, there was a lot of respect. We said yes to diversity, we had fun together, we laughed together, we had tears together, etc. So here's where it gets interesting. One third is functional, two-thirds is, is uh, relational. This is the funny paradox. In a way, they are equal. You need to have both in the organization. 
because if we would only be rational to each other, you know, we could work for a certain amount of time. If there's no emotion at all in the in the relationship, people will actually leave for sure from the team. On the other hand, if we would only have like like you know nice nice interviews, nice presentations, we would drink some champagne, etc. You know, it would be great for the atmosphere, but no outcome at all. People will leave as well as well. So in a team, you need to have both, and they are equal. Yet, yet the best team exercise shows that if people really invest in the relational and the human dynamics, this is actually what creates like the best team experience. And in in a functional way, you could also say this is how you get a multiplier for the results. Now back to the emotional infrastructure. Infrastructure. Why I call it the emotional infrastructure? We are used to talk about infrastructures, physical infrastructures, knowledge infrastructures, you know, managerial infrastructures. Again, that's a lot from the functional and the rational perspective. Yet the best team, uh, the best team exercise shows that if you really invest in the connection, if you really invest in the connection, the human to human connection, that is your multiplier. And this is also where I say this is why we should also focus on the emotional infrastructure. It's a term to open up the conversation on the human dynamics, to put it on the agenda, on the team agenda and the leader's agenda. And what I truly believe is if we start discussing and we start thinking about there's also something what we call an emotional infrastructure we should discuss on how we want to be together how do we want to be with emotions how do we want to support each other how do we want to challenge each other from a human to human perspective if we really invest in it and i would say that's a long-term investment then you really create a really more powerful return on investments or is it maybe return on relationships so that's what i would debate about the emotional infrastructure Oh, it was actually really funny. Um, I when you said to write down their attributes of your team, I was writing down some about mine just to be part of it. And then um, I actually wrote down three results, and one of them was functional, and two of them were relational. So, um, <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I was wondering how you strike this balance between functional but also having good relations with one another. How do you make sure a team? function so it gets everything it needs done but yeah. also has this area of fun yeah uh, that's that's interesting because when you say strike the balance i would i would immediately think about what's the balance when is it right or wrong there is no one size fits all so i think it it starts just by understanding it really fundamentally starts by understanding the paradox between the functional and the relation relationship um, because what i see is you know it's easy to focus on the functional why because the functional either you're right or wrong either you you performed on kpi or you didn't Either you you got your budget or you didn't. So it's easy to discuss your right or wrong. Whereas if you go for the more the, the relational side, that is a bit harder to, to influence, to work with. And by the way, not everyone also feels safe to do so or they feel secure uh, to do so. So if you were to really start working on it, I think it really starts by understanding the paradox that really if you invest also in the relational side, it will also bring back on the on the functional and on the results side. If you truly say yes to it, then the, the really finding the, the, the balance is more about what is your intention. Is your intention to start working, to start building the emotional infrastructure? Then I think the, one of the primary steps to do so is to design the relationship. 
you need to also start talking to your team members, either individually as well as in the, in the, in the larger group, but also make it a theme within the organization. Like, you know, what are we here for on earth? Is it only to, to get results or is it also to be happy together? Is it only just to, to look outwards in the world? Like, you know, this is where the customers are, or are we also involved as a company, like what's happening with COVID right now in the world, not only for us in the business, but also as society. And the more you start discussing these kind of themes, the more you also start opening up like the emotional infrastructure. And this is where you start finding, where you start finding directions, how to balance it out. So I would say, Many organizations, many teams, many leaders, I see that they actually start working together from implicit expectations and implicit assumptions. Let's start talking about explicit agreements, not only from the functional side, but also who do we want to be as a team? How do we want to support? You know, if we talk about private life and, and as well as functional and business life, is it okay to mix both or not? You know, if you don't discuss it, then it's an assumption. But if you bring it out in the open, this is where you can actually, through conversation, start balancing it out. I was wanting to ask you about how this kind of theory works out when people are working from home. What do you think the Mm -hmm. main kind of commonalities of teams um, are which have been able to successfully to move to working virtually? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Again, here I I come back to functional and personal. I think the biggest challenge, either if it's in in, in your business, face-to-face business, but certainly also in the virtual uh, reality, is how do we stay productive and how do we stay connected? And what I see, you know, for the last couple of months, I've spoken many leaders again from all over the globe. You know, everyone was certainly instantly just in this situation where we start to work virtually. And what I notice is like the, the, the powerful teams and the powerful leaders, the, the, they start really, they understand that everyone, really everyone has their own personal work and communication preferences. So again, there's not something like this is the magic pill. This is the way you should actually do work virtually. This is how you should work. But those best teams, they know that people are different. You have introverted and extroverted people. Some people make judgments more based on thinking or feeling. So if we really start coming from that uh, there's diversity and we say yes to diversity, also in a virtual environment, the people actually started, the leaders started having conversations with the teams on, so, you know, being back home, working virtually, what does it need? What do you need in order to be successful? It all starts by trusting each other because, you know, when you're in the same building, you can see each other. You can see, you know, and people are actually, their physical bodies are in the building. You're not always sure what's happening in their minds, but at least you see. So that gives a little bit of trust. Now you can't see them and still you need to trust them. So the powerful leaders, they trust their team members that whatever they do at home, that is okay. They don't buy into something. You should start working at eight o'clock in the morning till five. No, they also say like, you know, follow your energy. When you're working at home, it has a different rhythm, a different energy. You move less. Some people like to start at eight o'clock. Some people like to start at 10. So give permission to follow their energy. The powerful leaders actually just start discussing these kind of themes with their teams. 
They also promote self-care. So, of course, as a leader, you know, it's important that I communicate, that I stay connected, not only with the team members uh, as a group, but also individually, both from a functional perspective, but also from a human perspective. So, again, the powerful leaders, they also open up conversations. So, what is it like for you working from home? What is it like to balance your your work life also with your family life, with your your husband, your wife, your children, your friends? Um, They also know that, you know, certainly with the COVID, everyone instantly is now working from home. We never had this situation before. So we understand it's a learning process. So again, the powerful leaders, they understand it's a learning process. So they learn, but they also laugh about the, the situation. They laugh about the mistakes. Don't don't make it a burden, but also, you know, be gentle with each and every one. I think furthermore, what I see working from home, of course, you have to make even more uh, more direct uh, agreements on the functional side. What is your responsibility? What is the delivery time by when, you know, who to involve, et cetera. But next to that, that, that functional, also they promote informal contact. I think also right now what's happening, you know, people start still working at home. The first one month, you know, when we were, you know, with the COVID situation, people were easy to reach out to each other. Are we still doing it? Or is it now primarily a functional reach out? The best performing teams, they keep in touch also from a more informal contact. And certainly also while still working virtually, the best teams, they celebrate. They celebrate success because they know that celebration and also being being proud, being proud of yourself, being proud of your colleagues, being proud on the teams and the results, that is like the fundamental energy to move forward and to, to actually keep, keep it performing at a high level. How about when things aren't going so successfully? How would a manager say deal with conflict when working with um, working from home? Yeah. Well, when you when you raise the topic of conflict, my always my first is like my first question or my first to discuss is like what is a conflict? What is the perspective? Um, I see that many people also take conflict from a more negative perspective, whereas my perspective personally is quite positive. Because, you know, what a conflict in essence is, is that that is like a situation where people have different ways of looking at reality and uh, or, or, or a topic, and they are willing to take a stand for it. Yet the stance, the way they do it, they don't do it in the, the, maybe not the best way or the best serving way, where therefore the, the relationship also get entangled. And that's what we call a conflict. So if you would actually start shifting the the conflict, which is actually more a like a good sign. So you and I, we both take a stand for something we believe in. Then the question is, how do we do we do we handle the conflict? The essence, I would say, the essence is: can we and are we able and are we willing to shift from a debate into a dialogue? Because what happens in a debate is. I'm trying to say I'm going to win. So if I win, you must lose. Or if you want to win, I must lose. That's part of the debate. Then you also start listening to to where can I listen to your arguments and what's the worst argument where I can just beat you on it uh, or the other way around. Whereas if you are able to shift it from a di- uh, debate into a dialogue, dialogue, then rather than listening to 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 reply or listening to fix, I shift it more to listening to understand. I want to understand what's the truth. And even if I'm totally not with you, 
um, still have to look for the two, three, four percent of truth. Because if I find some of the elements where I can say I can align to it, I can relate to it, that already opens up something in the connection. And therefore, we are more willing to start looking for, for solutions as well. So you have to, you have to go for that. Now, the question is, how do you do that virtually? I would say it starts by pre-conflict because as a leader, as a team, you need to start training your people on like, what is it like to work together? You know, what creates strong connections? This is also where I would also bring in the theme of the emotional bank account. You know, if we start giving each other more compliments and acknowledgements and support, you know, that actually builds already a relationship. So when we have a conflict or a misunderstanding, then we take something from the emotional bank account. But if it's filled, then it's fine. If it's empty and I take something, then suddenly like the misunderstanding is easier to get into a conflict. So if you really beforehand work on the emotional bank account, work on the power of diversity of thought, work on the mindset, then when the conflict arises, it's easier to work with the conflict and to ask people like, start looking for what is what is in there rather than trying to, de- to beat, rather than being in a debate, go for a dialogue. And I think also for us as leaders, you know, if we are all virtually or face-to-face, and we are with people, and those people are in a conflict. Let's not get to the the the, the fault that we are trying to fix it, that we are trying to find the middle way. But we need to teach the people, the employees, the persons who have a conflict, how to resolve it. So that also means that we need to be a little bit more from a coach perspective or mediator perspective, um, rather than a fixer all the time. And you know, and again, this this takes training, and you have to talk about it more often. You have to train it more often. And sometimes in business, I I encounter people who say, "No, I don't. We don't need it. I've already done a course on conflict resolution, or already done a course on feedback or feed forward." And then I always tell them, like, "Have you ever met a, a supporter who said, "I've done that training already once, therefore I won't do it again'?" No. So again, in in what needs to happen in situations, we in business, we constantly need to train our people and ourselves on these kinds of things rather than just wait for it and then take one person to training and then hopefully for the rest of life it's solved it's not that way it needs to be a constant conversation i guess my last question for you would be if you could sum up what makes a good leader hmm. wow fantastic question it's short and it's powerful um you know, if if you take it in line also with the best team exercise, I've also done the best manager exercise. So this is where I ask people, think about, you know, the person you would call your best manager or your best leader. And, uh, and again, Ellen, I would invite you also to write down. So what are the attributes that makes this manager or this leader the best manager or the best leader? And here's where it gets interesting again. If you would take the attributes, and again, you would relate them either to the more functional part or more the personal part, what I see in general is that not one-third, two-thirds, but this time 90, 90% of the attributes are more personal, more emotional attributes. So they, for for instance, some of the answers I always hear back place, you know, those 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 good leaders, those best managers, best leaders, they listen, they challenge, they support, they radiate pleasure, enthusiasm, passion, they show respect, they show trust, they treat you equally, etc. 
So 90% of those attributes are more emotional related, more personal related. So when you go back to what, what are the makings of a good leader, I would say that a good leader understands that next to their functional job, next that they are being paid in order to create results and therefore have to have some sort of rational infrastructure, they know and understand that the emotional infrastructure, that being in connected with the others, your teams, your organization, the world, also needs to be a more personal uh, connection also where you show up vulnerable where you show like who am i my you know what am i taking a stand for as a person as a human being so what what makes a good leader those are the leaders who are doing also introspection who work with their coaches their peers or other persons to actually ask for feedback and are willing to listen to it who are actually every now and then slow down and think about you know what's my next um those are the people who are open for feedback, who are honest and trusting. And the good leaders, uh, they also understand that ultimately people will not remember you for what you did, but mostly for how you made them feel. So what are the make makings of a good leader? Again, introspection, go internally, understand you're not just a human doing in order to create results. You're a human being with lots of emotions. And if you actually create an atmosphere, business, uh, business atmosphere, where next to the results, we can also openly discuss where our fears are or where we feel a bit uncertain or where we can contribute and support each other by complimenting and acknowledging where people feel safe and trust, where there's psychological safety, that makes a good leader in my perspective. Thank you very much. I feel like that's been a really inspirational podcast and I feel like I've got a lot to go away and think about. You're welcome, Ellen. And, you know, for also if people want to know more, um, I would invite them also to, to go to marcobusman.com. So Marco with a C and B-U-S-C-H-M-A-N.com. Or they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn and connect. And if they have any questions, always feel free to, to come up. It's, it's my pleasure and my privilege always to share my knowledge. Always happy to do so. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, uh, Ellen, as well. And uh, it's, it's been my privilege once more. Thank you so much to Marco for being on the podcast today. I think he gave such a personal yet informative interview. And I think there's a lot to be reflected on from what he said. If you'd like more thought leadership, go to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition. And make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast.